Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of the Southpaw Slice. I'm Ben Lewis alongside Mike McIntyre. Remember, you can follow us at Southpaw underscore Slice. Follow me at Ben Lewis SN590 and follow Mike at Pro Tennis Fan. And we're reaching the very tail end of the season. The women's side has wrapped up with Alina Svitolina winning the end of year title. The men's side has just one Masters 1000 event left from Paris. And today we're very pleased to be joined by special guest Damian Cox. You can find his work on Sportsnet, see him on television, hear him on Sportsnet 590, the fan, read his work on The Star, and he also has a new book coming out. It's actually out called The Last Good Year. Damien, thanks uh, so much for being with us, and uh, I'd love to actually just start off the hop with uh, a bit on your tennis background, because obviously, I, I think in Canada, we know it's uh, it's not among the big four North American sports tennis. Maybe it's a, a pretty niche for a lot of people, but uh, did you play growing up? Well, I'd be, I'd be, uh, it'd be a little bit of an exaggeration to say uh, that tennis was my birthright, but almost. My, I come from a, a tennis family. My parents are English and played tennis all their lives. And my father is now 88 years old and still plays several times a week. So um, I, I was blessed to be born into a tennis family. I played a fair bit when I was a kid. And then I stopped playing for a number of years for a whole bunch of reasons and uh, family and a bunch of other things and really got back into it in the late 1990s. And uh, since then, I've been, well, uh, you know, an enthusiast, always a competitor sometimes, and certainly one who, uh, I mean, I love the game and have been blessed to have been able to travel around the world covering it as a journalist. So I've been lucky to you know, to, to be part of the game as, as a kid, as an adult, as a son, as a journalist in every, in probably just about every which way you can imagine. Damien, I think I and, and many people probably, you know, associate you mostly for your hockey coverage, which you've done for a long time. When did you start getting into the tennis side of things? And uh, to this moment, what, what's your favorite sort of event that you've covered from the tennis side of things? So um, I I did some of the Canadian Open when it was back at York University before they built um, the current facility. So I was there. um, um, I remember I remember watching uh, Steffi Graf lose to Amanda Kutzer. That's who it was. A huge upset back there. And the rainy days out at the old York University site um, being part of the coverage there. But it was probably more around... Uh, well, soon after I started playing a lot and I was able to, for the Toronto star for a decade, went to Wimbledon every single year. And that was, I mean, that's about as good as it gets when it comes to tennis. It's like, it's like uh, covering an event at the, at the church of tennis. So um, that was amazing being at the U S open um, and being able to cover some Davis cup and, and some fed cup and, when you ask me what my most ama- you know memorable event, I guess it was 2010. To I'd have to double check the year, but it was the year Canada played Israel in Tel Aviv, and it was the amazing year that uh, Vashik Pospisil basically single-handedly got Canada into the World Group with his spectacular performance against the Israelis. And you know when, when you go over all your men- memories of all the events you've covered that that would be right there the unique atmosphere of that stadium an incredibly hostile crowd <laughs> in tel aviv and watching pospisil really emerge 
um, as uh, one of the Canadian players to watch for the future. So that's one certainly that I remember. But all those years going for to Wimbledon, being at you know there at the, maybe the greatest match ever between Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer with a front front row seat. That's right up there too. Well, that's a that's a great memory of a uh, Canada versus Israel, and I think that makes a, a good segue because obviously uh, Vashik Pospisil, as strong as a Canadian uh, name he has been, uh, right at that time I think we were just hearing about Milos Raonic, and we've seen mm-hmm. how much uh, the game has changed in Canada just the past you know four or five years, and especially uh, over the past couple of years, uh, it almost feels like Canada's potential golden age with the stars we have upcoming, and already uh, the stars who have arrived. Shapovalov, Felix, uh, Milos, of course, still there. How, how do you see this current crop of players? And is, is it possibly, you know, more exciting now to cover tennis in this country? I think it's, well, I mean, you know, more exciting. I can't speak to the years when, uh, when uh, uh, Mitch Abada and those guys and Grant Connell, what they were doing, they were, they did a lot of exciting things, those guys, and we shouldn't uh, downplay that. But it, in terms of being competitive, at an international level, I mean, this is the golden age of Canadian tennis. You got Milos Raonic, 20, 27th in the world, or 21st in the world, Denis Shapovalov, 29th in the world, Felix Oje Eliassime, certainly by next year will be in the top 100 in the world, um, and Vasek Pospisil still in the top 100. I mean, we've just never had anything like that. And we saw it on display at the, uh, at the Davis Cup in September. Uh, against the Netherlands, the kind of powerful lineup Canada can put together, and this is this is completely unprecedented. And um, it's you know, I mean, when I when I started covering tennis, it was uh, particularly internationally or at Wimbledon, it was Dan, it was Danny Nestor in the doubles, and that was about it. And now we've got so many guys to watch and exciting guys like Shapovalov and Felix. You know, players that are, 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 you know, talked about around the world. So it's a great time to be a Canadian tennis fan. Dennis certainly took things to another level, it seemed, last summer in uh, Montreal with his great run there and, and got people's uh, hopes really high. I think a lot of people probably expected more from him, which is, is probably putting too much weight on a 19-year-old kid's shoulders. He lost today uh, it, in Paris against uh, Richard Gasquet, a very experienced veteran player. And already I'm seeing some of the reaction on social media kind of bemoaning his late-season struggles. But are we kind of, and when I say we, I mean you know fans, maybe media to a certain extent as well, are we putting too much pressure on this kid at such a young age? And, and do we run the risk of kind of doing what we did to, to Jeannie Bouchard in a sense? Well, I, I think it's, uh, I mean, whether wh- whatever pressure we put on them, I mean, I'm not sure whether they feel it or they don't feel it. But in terms of Shapovalov, I, I think it's very similar to the way it was for Milos. You know, once he started making noise, and then when he didn't immediately win Grand Slams and Masters events, there were critics who would say, see, he's never going to win. He, he never it, Like, this takes an incredibly long time to really get to where you've got to get to. And when you look at Number one, number two, number three players in the year, players in the world now, all over thirty years of age. Denis Shapovalov is nineteen. We are at the beginning of a long, long run, and part of that is learning how to travel, learning how to, um, you know, uh, compete against the veterans like Gasquet, learning how to train, learning how to stay healthy, all those sorts of things. Let's remember. He ended 2017 51st in the world. He's now 29th in the world. 
that's that's a great leap forward. And then working towards, I, I think the three of us would be shocked in sometime in the next two to three years if he wasn't in the top 20, maybe the top 10. So anybody who looks at Shabovalov and is disappointed, you're you're not you're not looking for the right things. You're not watching the right things. This is one of the most talented young tennis players in the world. And the fact that he's got his buddy Felix to take this journey with him is just going to make it that much uh, more exciting for them. And that much, I mean, it's going to be great for us to watch. You're listening to the Southpaw Slice. Remember, you can find us at Southpaw underscore Slice. And our guest on this week's episode, Damian Cox, you can find him on Twitter at Damo Spin. Uh, now, certainly, uh, as you said, Denis Shapovalov is, is venturing into that lengthy career. We, we've seen Milos Raonic for a number of years now. We saw the the peak and the height, which was obviously 2016, reaching a Wimbledon final, finishing the year number three. And, and now things have, uh, I guess you could say, stagnated. I, I don't want to say fallen off because he, he's dealt with so, so many injuries. Where do you sort of assess his game right now? And, and what should we sort of expect, anticipate? think of Milos Raonic uh, maybe heading into to next year then uh, and uh, you know the next couple of weeks as well so you know we saw him quarterfinals at Wimbledon loses to Isner round of 16 at US Open um, tremendous performance for Canada at the Davis Cup or at least very strong um, and now we're seeing a dip at the end of the year I got to be honest with you guys I mean we're seeing the same with Shabovala I kind of discount the results or I don't pay as close attention to after the U S open. I just think it becomes sort of a, a truncated half, you know, half a tennis season that exists between the U S open and the Australian open. And, you know, uh, so I'm going to focus more on, on what I thought of Milos around the U S open and, and this summer. And I saw a guy and we really saw it at Davis cup against the Netherlands coming to the net more, uh, really developing his game more, um, you know, working with Goran Ivanisevic to increase his pace of play on, on uh, particularly on his service games. Um, I, I saw a guy who's really still maturing. He's 27 years old, which I get is not 22, but it's also not 31, 32. There's still opportunities for him, but it always comes down to the same thing. Can he stay healthy? Can he stay healthy? for some extended period of time to have success. When Milos plays, he's one of the top 10 to 15 players in the world, but he's got to be able to play for an extended period of time. We'll see if he can. Yeah, it's certainly troubling to see someone who's only 27 years old already dealing with so many injuries, and he certainly does carry a big frame around on the tennis court, big frame, sorry, around on the tennis court. So hoping that he can get healthy for for 2019, because, yeah, like you said, when he's healthy, he's a a definite, I think, still a top 10 kind of guy. Well, and, and just to look, I mean, he's not the only guy in the world who struggles to stay healthy. Look at poor Juan Martin Del Potro and the injury he just suffered. After all those surgeries and all those injuries, his wrist injuries, now he's got something else. And the reality is the, the you know, the pro tennis uh, circuit is a grind. And Milos is not the only guy who struggles to stay healthy. Rafael Nadal has stuck, struggled to stay healthy. So, you know, when you know, I think when people look at him and say, geez, he's hurt all the time, a lot of guys are. And I think that says as much about the tour and the demands it puts on these athletes as it does about Milos Raonic. Yeah, absolutely. How many how many sports force their athletes to grind it out for as many months as they do on the oh. tennis tour, right? 
Uh, and speaking about if we transition away from the Canadians to just the, the ATP Tour at large, and we look at the big three, which we've been talking about for, gosh, what, 10, 12, 15 years now. But, you know, Novak's <laughs> won the, the last two slams. Nadal still has the number one ranking. Uh, Roger got the first slam of 2018. How long can these big three stay on top of the game? And uh, is it surprising to you that, that it's still these three guys we're talking about, that nobody from that next generation or, or even the next gen that they talk about, those guys in the early 20s, has yet to really, you know, ruffle these guys' feathers? It's not surprising to me. It's shocking to me, guys. <laughs> I mean, I was there when these guys were supposedly in their prime, and they're still in their prime, and they're still winning everything. I mean, the only guy of the young guys who's even, you know, are the two guys who are even close to really challenging these guys are, are Alexander Zverev and Dominic Team. And other than that, it's all 30-year-olds. 30 30 Look at the top 10 in the game. I mean, they're all 30, except for those couple of guys I mentioned. And Grigor Dimitrov, I mean, he's 27. I don't know where exactly we fit him. So, you know, it's it's crazy how the game has changed into a game for older guys. Um, how long can they stay on top? I think we saw with Fed a little bit this year. You know, he skipped the French Open, didn't have the success in other events. And then he goes out and wins his 99th title the other day. So, you know, what do you think about him? Yeah, I, I've given up writing him off ever. I'll write him off when he's not playing anymore. Djokovic has come back this year and back to form where he was was extraordinary. And, you know, Nadal with his incredible uh, run of French Open. So, I, I you know, it, I really don't see, particularly with Del Potro out, I don't see anybody really knocking these three out in the next year even. And funny enough, the only guy who really seems to be positioned to do that is another 30-year-old, and that's Kevin Anderson, who's played some great tennis, playing great on the this past weekend, played great all year, and really seems to be flourishing now in his 30s. So it is a, it's an old man's game, guys, and then as an old man myself, I'm happy it's that way. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, excellent uh, week uh, from Kevin Anderson, as you mentioned, uh, winning the title at the Earthbank Open in Vienna, and that allows him to uh, qualify for the first time for the end-of-year uh, ATP Finals, which uh, is pretty rare to do in your 30s for your first time. But uh, Kevin Anderson, mm-hmm. breakthrough year. John Isner, another one of those guys who's had a breakthrough year, um, you know, going deep in slams, winning Miami. Um, just I uh, want to shift course to the women's side, uh, which is, yep. I, I guess, a completely different picture if you think about it um, in terms of who to sort of uh, follow and, and expect to win because whoever we think we're going to expect to win, someone else wins, which is uh, has been sort of the trend. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly with Serena Williams gone and Alina Spitalina was the champion at the uh, end of your title in Singapore. Um, Serena Williams, though, closed uh, 2018 uh, given the Grand Slams well. Uh, she reached two Grand Slam finals and we saw, of course, what transpired in the U.S. Open final. But uh, we wonder if a healthy Serena is consistently there in 2019, is she is she going to return to be being the player to beat? So, having been the one who uh, said that Roger Federer will never win another Slam, and then seeing him <laughs> do do a couple, I'm reluctant to even go down this path with you guys because I'm going to end up looking wrong. But I, I, I really feel that we've seen the best of uh, of Serena, and whether she can win another one or not, I don't know. But um, I, I, I kind of don't see it happening. Um, 
I just I think we saw at the U.S. Open um, her not be able to be at the level she needs to be at. She's 37 years old. Um, she's had a child. She has demands of that in her life. She's had lots of of, of, of health challenges. And the reality is, too, guys. I mean, I, I I think the women's tour in my mind has been at a low ebb now for four or five years, and now it's kind of coming out of it. And we're starting to see some really terrific you know, players in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, the way Naomi Osaka played at the U.S. Open, I mean, she looks to me like the next real star in the game. Um, Svitolina with her finish to the season. Simona Halep's still only 27 years old. Um, and Sloane Stevens, 25. So I, I think there are enough younger people in the game that can handle uh, Serena now. And, you know, some of the uh, of the older citizens, the Kvitovas and the, you know, players like that can do it as well. So I just think it's going to be really tough for Serena to win another slam. Um, and I look forward to you, the three of us talking again and you guys telling me how wrong I was. <laughs> We can go back and edit this out if it doesn't turn out uh, in your favor. Don't worry. <laughs> well, I, I, I guarantee you, Damien, you're not uh, you're not the only one to to predict that uh, Roger Federer was not going to win another Grand Slam. I think uh, yep. a lot of people got that one wrong, and uh, he he added three more to the trophy case, which is uh, just uh, just incredible. Uh, Damien, yep. before we wrap up, I just want to kind of go back and touch on the uh, the place of of developing prominence of tennis in in our country here. And when I was a kid growing up in the '80s, it was uh, you know hockey and tennis for me. Hockey, obviously, there were tons of Canadian stories and Canadian players. Uh, you know, Canada Cup in '87 was my first real vivid hockey memory, and there was nothing Canadian on the tennis side to keep me going. My memories there are more Becker and Edberg and and guys like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to make a Lemieux, Gretzky, Shapovalov, Ogie comparison here. But if Dennis and Felix do pan out to have successful careers, what potential impact could they, maybe Bianca Andreescu too on the women's side, what potential impact could they have on the place that tennis holds in our, in our country here? How big could that be for us? Well, I, I, I think uh, it depends what we're talking about. Are we talking about people watching on television, following the game, being fans of the game, or are we talking participation numbers? Yeah, I think a little and bit of both, an, probably, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's an interesting debate. Are we going to churn out bigger numbers of players? Um, you know, tennis is still, you know, all you need is a racket, but it's still not the cheapest game in terms of what's required to compete at the highest level, so I think that that sometimes shuts a lot of people out of it. Um you know, you know, it's never going to be a core sport in this country, probably. Um, but when you've got, I think, it was, as we've seen in the past, and we certainly saw with Shapovalov um, a couple times in the last year, the, you know, the mark of these athletes is not just what they mean to um, hardcore tennis fans in Canada. It's when they start to excel and move through a big tournament, how they draw in uh, fans who aren't tennis fans, who are, you know, might not otherwise watch the game. And there's great value in that as well. But, um, you know, I, I sometimes struggle with the grow the game uh, mentality. And I understand that's what Tennis Canada needs to do, wants to do, get more people playing. But sometimes, you know, you are what you are. And the most notable thing is, the kids that are playing tennis. I mean, look at Catherine Sabov winning this weekend in Saguenay. Um, 
you know, the, the, the young people we've got playing the game now, they are inspired by the Bouchards and the Rauniches and the Shabovalas. And they look at them and they say, they're, they're hitting on that court beside me. I could do what they're doing. And that's the greatest value. That that Shapovalov growing up could see Milos Raonic and say, that "Guy's in the final of Wimbledon. I, I work with him. I know his. I know him. I could be that player." And I think that's the greatest value to what uh, these players are doing in Canada right now. Well said. Well said. I um I didn't make that hockey tennis comparison by accident. By the way, I am trying to sort of push things in a, in a certain direction here to wrap things up with you. And I wanted to mention that you do have a book called the last good year that is available right now. And I'll, I'll let you sort of take it from there. If you could tell us a little bit about this, uh, this work that you've put together. Well, and I'd love to tell your listeners, I'm writing a, a, a book on uh, Canadian tennis or tennis in general, but I'm not, but that doesn't mean I won't. <laughs> and there are certainly, uh, Hey, who's a better story in Canadian sports right now than Rebecca Marino, right? So Absolutely. maybe somebody uh, will write a book on her. This is a hockey book. It's about the 93 series, primarily about the 93 playoff series between the Leafs and the Kings that a lot of people remember uh, both because it went seven games and because of all the colorful figures from uh, Pat Burns to Barry Melrose to Wayne Gretzky to Doug Gilmore and what a, an incredible story it was and it's also about the, the sport at that time and like tennis guys I mean hockey's changed a lot over the years uh, the game is different um, the industry is different um, and uh, I, I think it's interesting always to look back and not to say it was better then or better now but to talk about how it was different and to highlight the, the people who are great at it. And that's why when you talked about before about, you know, is this the most exciting time? I hate to, you know, I remember seeing Patricia He at the Canadian Open when she got people excited and Helen Kelsey and Mitch Abata and all those other, all these, all those other athletes. So, you know, I think sports in general, whether it's hockey or tennis, it's, we should evaluate them for the time they were in and enjoy them the, the time they're in. And it's always fun to go back and uh, and relive these uh, these things one more time. And hopefully, uh, people uh, will do that with this book. Buy it. It's Christmas coming up, guys. Come on, <laughs> um, we, you know it's a good present. And uh, I appreciate you guys mentioning it as well. It's going to be in all your kids' stockings this year. I'm pretty much uh, assured. Whether they it? whether they want it or not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, look, D- Damien. Uh, as a, as a Habs fan, I have to admit sometimes I find all the Leaf talk uh, tough for me personally but I do certainly appreciate all you've done with tennis in, in recent years and, and wish you uh, continued success in, in both sports. And uh, thank you so much for joining us on the show. We really appreciate that too. And would love to have you back on at some point in the future. Well, guys, anytime, anytime we can talk tennis, I'm, uh, I'm, I love to do it and I love the game and uh, um, look forward to some great years uh, covering the sport in Canada, but uh also just watching the sport in Canada. I think we're all enjoying these days. And uh, I think you guys are doing a great job of, uh, of getting the, the news out there and making people want to watch more. So thanks for having me. Very much appreciated. Thank you. That was Damian Cox of Sportsnet. You can follow him on Twitter at Damo Spin. And you can follow us at Southpaw underscore Slice. I'm Ben Lewis. He's Mike McIntyre. Follow me at Ben Lewis SN 590. Follow Mike at 
pro tennis fan. Well, that was a great uh, perspective from uh, Damien, who's obviously seen so much uh, as a reporter and journalist, uh, of course, not just uh, with tennis, but uh, sports all across hockey. And uh, yeah, if uh, you're near a bookstore, uh, you can grab his uh, new novel, The Last Good Year is what it's called. That was the year the Habs won the uh, Stanley Cup. I have to throw that in there, by <laughs> That the way. was, that yeah. was. That's right. Patrick Waugh in net at the time. Uh, we're not done yet, of course. Uh, you know, plenty to event, uh, the events to uh, recap. One one good point I thought he mentioned, and, uh, you know, we've, we've already talked about this, but uh, how, uh, you know, we do sort of have a bit of a flame out considering how unbelievably long the uh, the tennis season is post us open uh you know it, it's just a natural burnout and i think that is sometimes why you see some some of the results you do on, on the men's and women's side uh, you know some people who are just feeling a little fresher come come the fall season maybe they're coming off an injury feeling better and, and some players just feeling worse and uh maybe that's that's a good take on, on what's going on with milos raonic post us open yeah and dennis shapovalov as well we saw that loss today to richard gasquet first of all it's not some chump that he lost to no right? no G- gasquet is an experienced player and i find it interesting if you want to make sort of a parallel i mean gasquet's 32 years old now but boy, does it ever seem like he's been around forever. Yeah. And that's because he was so hyped as a junior. And when he was 19, so much hype on him already coming up from the French Tennis Federation. Uh, I mean, when he was about 21, he was making the semifinals of Wimbledon and everyone thought, all right, this kid is going to be the next big thing. Maybe we've got the next like Federer here. Didn't pan out for him, obviously. But, uh, you know, let's give Dennis a little bit of, uh, uh, of, of, of a break here because... First full ATP season for him. Yes. And you can sort of tell, I think it's taken its toll. The travel recently, he's over here in Toronto for Davis Cup in in September. Then I believe he went over to Russia. Then he did the Asian swing. Now Mm -hmm. back to Europe. And for anyone that's going to take a a toll on you, let alone someone who doesn't really have the history and the experience of sort of enduring an 11-month, 10, 11-month tennis season. Yeah, look, uh, especially when you're you're at this age, he, he's not like, for example, I think a Richard Gasquet and, of course, uh, the big three where they're being selective. Uh, he's entering, you know, countless events, uh, you know, pre pre the Shanghai uh, Masters, which was the one Masters 1000, the second to last one. Uh, as you said, he was in Russia. Then he played Shenzhen and Japan. And uh, look, he had a semifinal there in Japan, which is a pretty good result. Uh, had a tough draw in Shanghai, losing to Bastilashvili there, you know, run into a hot Ernest Galbez, who I think was probably feeling pretty fresh at the time. He had had a couple injury issues and seen his ranking dip. And then, uh, you know, you have to play, you got to go over uh, and play the Swiss indoors, uh, jump from Sweden, Sweden over to Switzerland. And you look at your draw book and, oh, geez, I got to deal with Marin Cilic first round. So it's just, it's a tough, long grinding stretch. And uh, especially when you're, when you're 19, you're, you're playing everything. Uh, so some of the results are going to show and, and, you know, you're going to have some tough matches too. And, uh, credit to Richard Gasquet. Uh, Shapovalov had breaks in both of those sets, but uh, Gasquet wins the match 6 4 7 6. And we'll check in with uh, Milos Braunich as well at this tournament and see how he does because he, he's opening against uh, Joe Wilfried Sanga. We don't know yet um, if Roger Federer is going to play this event. He's he's on the draw as of now. If he's feeling well, I, I think he will play it. And if Milos Raonic is able to win his first match, that would set up a date with uh, 
Roger Federer in the second round. Yeah, but how many times do I get excited for potential matches that <laughs> never know, come I to know. me? And I feel like this I know. is I feel like this is just maybe one of them. And you know what? If Federer doesn't play Paris, then he's certainly ended his. Uh, well, I guess there'd be the uh, the end of year uh, finals. But yes. he's ended his ATP regular tournament uh, in in fine fashion with uh, no number kidding. number ninety nine. Yeah, number 99, uh, which, uh, you know, I think that number resonates differently for uh, Canadian sports fans, uh, for a certain fellow in this country. But for Roger Federer, that's a 99th uh, career ATP title, uh, winning the hometown Basel, uh, Swiss indoors Basel event. And uh, look, he's, he's 10 behind Jimmy Connors now. Um, that that might be a realistic debate of could could he potentially catch uh, Connors? That's a tough one, eh? Because Connors has 109 titles, which is just like wow, like blows your mind. Yeah. Because when you talk about all time greats and as great as Jimmy Connors was, he's not in that debate with Federer, Djokovic, no, Nadal, he's not. Sampras, Certainly, probably you know, in the top like eight debate, sure. I would say for but, sure. Yeah. But he's got the most titles, and and you know by far. So ten separating them. Rogers won four this year. Yeah. If he keeps up at that clip, it's going to take him at least another two to, uh, and that's going to put him at what, 39, almost 40. Yeah. Look, I, you, you know, I would personally take the under here because, uh, look, uh, I, I don't precisely know when Roger Federer is going to retire. I think he has an ambition of getting to play the Olympics in 2020. And I could very much see him if he, if he does get there, uh, call it a career after 2020, which would be two more calendar seasons. And I think asking him to win five titles each year, uh, 2019 and 2020 is asking a lot. Okay, but if he gets close, if he gets to like, you know, one Oh five, let's say, right. Make an extra push, play an extra season. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you have to, Oh, maybe, uh, uh, I know, I know. For him, uh, he had mentioned it last year. He he really did want to get to 100, and I'm fully confident he will win sure, a 100th sure. ATP title. Hey, even if he just comes back for the next three, four years and plays some grass court events, he's bound to win at least one of those. <laughs> just stick around right? at Halle and yeah. just keep winning that event. He's won that nine times, and now he's won in Basel, uh, his hometown tournament, nine times. And you can tell how much uh, it means to the hometown fans there. And uh, look, it, it wasn't a it wasn't an easy road for him. He had a few tough three setters early had a tough match with Philip Krajinovic who almost got him. Gilles Simon had him on the ropes, but uh, he, he found a way. And uh, good on Marius uh, Koppel, by the way, re- reaching his first ATP 500 final. He just had a, a, an excellent week. Um, look, uh, just jumping over to Vienna, uh, obviously Damon mentioned, Damian mentioned Kevin Anderson, maybe one of those names knocking on the door. He's made two Grand Slam finals over the past uh, couple seasons, and now he's... Uh, uh, rightly deserved his spot in the end of year championships, winning uh, the Earthbank Open, beating Kei Nishikori in the final. Uh, I'm looking at Kei Nishikori's season since he's been healthy. It's really, really strong. He just he can't seem to close at the end of these tournaments. He's he's that's now nine consecutive finals he's lost. Nine in a row. Yeah. And look, some of those finals he lost. Okay, look at the guys he lost to, like Djokovic twice. Nadal once, Chilik mm. is in there. Like, there's some good, great to good players in there. Of course. But then you've got, like, a Alexander Dolgopolov. Yeah, know, and that's, it's like, that's, a, that's an odd one. Oh, you got to win that one, right? Yeah. You think? Yeah, you wonder if it's slightly in his head. Of course, Kevin Anderson's a really tough matchup. Yeah, and Kevin Anderson, all the credit in the world to him because when he made that U.S. Open final, even I kind of thought to myself, well, hey, that's nice. He can say at some point when he retires, hey, I made one slam final. Yeah. He proved me and so many people, I think, wrong, and he's continuing to prove people wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, the Wimbledon final and and now this victory and getting to the, the final eight this year, which is, he's a super nice guy. I mean, we had his wife. We had Kelsey yep. on as yes, a guest back in August, and they're just like a super awesome couple full of positivity. 
um, you know, great ambassadors for the sport. And so mm-hmm. to see people like that get rewarded, to see nice guys, you know, have their moment too. And, um, you know, he'll be in contention when we get back to the slam uh, circuit in uh, in Australia in January. He's oh, got to be a guy who's considered, you know, top five, six, uh, well, obviously top eight sure. uh, in terms of a, a legit contender now. Yeah, definitely. And that was a surprising grand slam for him, actually, uh, exiting first round. Uh, it's really brutal first round matchup against Kyle Edmonds. So uh, he could certainly surge up uh, the rankings a couple spots there if he makes a run at the Australian Open. That'll be next season. We still have a couple tournaments to go here. A uh, couple more notes on Paris. Novak Djokovic is getting closer and closer to uh, Rafael Nadal uh, points wise. And I know he's, he's stated quite clearly he wants that end of year number one ranking. Rafael Nadal is coming off uh, injury, uh, the injury that he suffered in the U.S. Open uh forced him to skip Beijing and Shanghai. So this is his first tournament to the U.S. Open. Uh, is Novak the crystal clear favorite here? And what should we expect from Rafa? Yeah, Novak is is the, you know, undisputed, um, you know, leading the race here for sure, the way things have gone. While, while it looks like other people on the tour are fading, you know, or Nadal yeah. just coming back, who knows what we're going to get from him. Yep. Novak is just like coasting along because the early part of his 2018, he didn't have long tournaments where he went deep into those draws. So for him, I think he's got that reserve. Very fresh right now. And he's got the confidence too. So yeah, Djokovic uh, up there for sure. Nadal, my uh, expectations are low, not just because of the time off, but he hasn't historically done really well in Paris. I think he's only made the finals there one time, losing in 2007 to David Nalbandian. Yeah. Uh, and um, that was a bad beat down. There was like a, a bagel in there as well in, in straight sets. Wow. Um, and then I think he's made the semifinals a couple of times, but he doesn't usually last into the late stages of, no, the, of the year, the way he plays and, and the grueling schedule that he, you know, he's not handpicking like, uh, like Roger, right? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, historically, uh, he has not, uh, fared well indoors as well. And just late season, he's never won the end of year tournament. And certainly, uh, his style of play has something to do with it. Um, yeah, also, uh, look, both him and uh, Novak in their sort of lead-up interviews uh, to this tournament, I saw they were both being asked, why do you think uh, Paris, uh, the Masters 1000 in Paris, has drawn some different winners? Because this is actually one of our one of our tournaments where it's not just completely owned by sort of the big four, where you have winners like Joe Wilfried Sanga has won here. David Ferrer won his only Masters 1000 title here. And, and, and last year... And last year we had Jack Sock. Um, he's going to uh, have his hands full uh, this week. Uh, so, you know, it, it's certainly one of those tournaments where you get a, a mishmash of winners. Robin Soderling has also won here. And that certainly is related, I think, to the timing of the tournament coming so late in the season. But it'll be interesting with the number one ranking up for grabs. Does that fuel Nadal? Because even if he's not physically at 100%, if he's got a little extra hunger, yeah. you know, you don't want to give him any extra motivation. No. And no. the fact is, year-end number one rankings, uh, you know, Nadal's finished four times number one, Djokovic four times, Roger's done it five times. Oh, there you go. So well, there's a little extra, tight. right? Like they yeah. could they could tie Roger, and then sure. we'll just let that debate continue to rage. I guess <laughs> that's a, that's a very good point. We'll uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, Nadal scheduled to play the winner of Fernando Verdasco and Jeremy Chardy, so uh, that could be an interesting test for him early. Shapovalov could have potentially played Nadal in the third round. That will not happen. He falls to Richard Gasquet six four seven six. We'll wrap up on the women's side. You're listening to the Southpaw Slice. Find us at Southpaw underscore slice we're on soundcloud soundcloud.com slash southpaw slice uh subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts um 
the women's tour is wrapped up for the season. And look, we, we talked about her struggles for the latter half of 2018. What was wrong with Alina Svitolina? We'd seen, you know, no signs of uh, her strong form really since the French Open where she crashed out early and really out of nowhere, uh, picking up her biggest title of her career, winning uh, the end-of-year event in Singapore, uh, beating Sloane Stephens in the final. She had wins. Uh, look, she went undefeated, victories over Kvitova, Pliskova, Wozniacki, Kiki Burtons, and then Stevens in the final. Um, how, are you stunned? <laughs> I, I am stunned, and I think everyone is stunned because of the way things were going, and she was under so much scrutiny, you know, on social media, and she admitted to it in her press conferences, just that, how that was weighing on her. Mm-hmm. I mean, so many people about, oh, have you seen Svitolina? She looks like she's lost weight. She yes. doesn't look as healthy. She doesn't this, that, and the other. Everyone's got their opinion. And, uh, you know, who knows what the, the whole story is, but for Alina, she said, hey, I'm trying something new. I'm trying to get leaner. I'm trying to add a little bit more muscle. Yep. And, uh, you know, for her, I think this was vindication. And, uh, and you could tell it was kind of like, um, you know, showing her detractors that, uh, that she is still one to be uh, reckoned with. And despite the fact that she didn't end up with a Grand Slam or even, you know, making it super deep in a Grand Slam uh, run this year, as we kind of expected, maybe she would take that step in 2018. Biggest title of her career. Yeah. Ends the year on a super high note. You know, come January, we're going to be talking about her, whereas if she didn't have this run... She probably wouldn't really be in that mix of people we were going to be discussing. Yeah, I'm not sure we would have a conversation about her as a contender, but now uh, it's such a great way to end your season. And now, uh, just like everybody else on the women's tour, you can really just get some R&R now and make sure you're you're fresh and well-trained uh, for the new calendar year. Uh, get a couple months off, which is uh, very, very nice. Uh, Wozniacki uh, had a pretty good run as well, uh, but did not uh, get to the finals. Uh, I had some hopes for her, but... uh... Yeah, but then she revealed also that just before the U.S. Open, she was diagnosed with uh, rheumatoid arthritis and that that has been affecting her since just prior to the U.S. Open, which to me makes the fact that she won in Beijing recently absolutely like, wow, that's astonishing that she's dealing with this new, you know, medical thing. Yeah. And she's able to have a run like that. So I think that was huge for her. Yep. Uh, And speaking of Wozniacki, last year she won the Tour Finals and then won the first slam of the next year. So that could give Alina Svitolina a little bit of, you know. Yeah. You can carry that forward, I think. And Absolutely. in fact, I did a little stat searching. And in the last 20 years, seven times on the women's tour has the woman who's won the tour uh, ending finals one year then proceeded on. to win the Australian Open in January. Wow. So stranger things have happened. Yeah, that's seven out of 20 is quite a lot, actually. I, and I wonder how many times uh, Novak Djokovic has achieved that feat as well, given he's he's won so many Australian Opens, uh, six of them. Another uh, interesting factoid about the tournament, uh, the seeds, one through eight, it was five, six, seven, and eight were the players advancing to the final four. Yeah. Uh, you gotta you got to love that. And we had, uh, I believe, count them, nine three-set matches, which is just, uh, that just adds to the drama, which is fantastic. It was great. It was great. And I also want to say Sloane Stevens, fantastic yeah. showing from her as well. Yeah. Uh, she had a great 2018. Yeah, she really did. You know, surprising that she made the finals of a clay court Grand Slam. Yeah. Uh, but she had a super successful year, really backed up that U.S. Open win from 2017. And uh, again, someone to really watch moving forward to see what she can add, uh, you know, uh, next next season. 
Yeah, certainly. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have plenty of storylines uh, heading into to next year and and see who, who are the main names to watch, who are the faces to watch. Naomi Osaka, uh, the winner of the final Grand Slam of the season, she got here as well, didn't get to the semifinals, but still uh, such a successful year for her too. And uh, that, that puts a wrap on the WTA. Uh, but we still have our final Masters 1000 event on the men's side before we will have the uh, London finals Denis Shapovalov's season will not be over because he is slated to play at the next-gen finals. So that will be our last opportunity to see him uh, in 2018. Yeah, let's wear him out just a little bit more. Right? Just a little more. Yeah. Just a little more. At least, uh, I suppose, at least that event uh, is done in a different format. They play sort of these mini sets to four, no ad deuce. I, I think they, they're trying to make it maybe a less, little less stressful on the body, which is nice. Yeah, maybe we'll see Wimbledon adopt that in the year 2088 uh, or something, right? <laughs> who knows? Yeah. Who knows? You think we're going to be around for that? <laughs> uh, I won't. <laughs> okay, yeah. I don't think I will be either. Okay, uh, that's a good place to end. You've been listening to the Southpaw Slice, and we thank uh, Damian Cox, our guest this week. Remember, you can find him at Damo Spin. Find me at Ben Lewis, SN590. Find Mike at Pro Tennis Fan. Find us at Southpaw underscore Slice. Uh, thank you, Mike, as always, and uh, we should be here again uh, next week. Let's do it.